Welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Glenn, should we talk about the trade or should we talk about Heat Hawks part one, Heat Hawks part two, Heat Knicks? Where are we supposed to go with all of this? Uh, I think we should tease the, the trade part and start with uh, the game that took place uh, on Wednesday night. Okay. What sort of takeaways did you have from the game on Wednesday night? Well, no doubt another frustrating uh, watch uh, for Hawks fans. Um, you know, after kind of going back through and doing a bit of a second watch, um, a, a lot of good defense. Uh, I think mostly in the, in the first half. And, you know, when I saw that um, and then, then also saw – that stuff started to break down in the second half when the game was slipping away and it seemed like they lost confidence in themselves, lost confidence in one another. And, and John Collins kind of talked a, a little bit about uh, that after the game and, and his time with the media. But, you know, the coach, the coach inside of me is like, well, you know, if you believe in the habits and, and defense is, is to a degree about having good, consistent habits um, they should be there almost regardless of situation, score, et cetera. And to see a team start with what I would describe as excellent habits, like great communication, seeing what was coming, understanding what the priorities of this specific game were, not letting the heat shooters lift into DHO, kind of keeping them away from that primary stuff that they want to do, and then incrementally across the third, fourth quarter, all that stuff just kind of disappeared. It, it it tells you a little something about the mental state of the team in my mind. And I don't want to try to pretend like we can read them in depth, you know, come from the distance that we are, but it, but there's, there's something to that uh, in my mind where the team is kind of mentally, I, I might use the word fragile or, um, you know, coming apart a little bit, becoming well, the first too, wave knocks them over. Right. And then they can't, find their footing again, and, and which is incredible because if you think back to like a, uh, some of the games they had in the postseason last year, like versus the Sixers, when they came back from massive deficits on the road in the postseason, and now it's a you know kind of a random-ish game on a Wednesday night in this example. It's not the first time this has happened of recent, but where they as soon as they are in like a 13 or 15-point hole, um, which is sizable, um, but it, sure. they, they, let, they, they get as NBA coaches like to say, they let go of the rope. And that, that's the way it looked to me. The offense was dreadful. We can talk about that in a moment. But to me, when I want to kind of try to get a read on kind of where the team is mentally, it's if they go from kind of A plus defensive habits in the first half to that stuff just pretty rapidly disappearing, that says a lot to me about where the team is mentally right now. So, so why, let me ask you this. And I want to talk about the trade. I feel like we're getting too far. No doubt. But like, you watch that game, and I kind of feel it too. Like, you look at that game, you look at that score, and you look at the game on paper, and you say, mm, bad game by the offense. And yet, Nate brings it up, you bring it up. In my gut, I kind of felt that it. it's like, we want to talk about the defense. Like, what was wrong with the defense? In a game where they just – couldn't really score any points. Why is that? Why are we not criticizing the offense? Why are we looking at the defense? Because I think um, the mentality 
at, at the NBA level, uh, especially, is that the offense is going to kind of on its own kind of come and go sometimes. And on top of that, I, I kind of commented on Twitter that the frustration on offense is kind of understandable because I think the Clippers and Heat, the two, two teams the Hawks played last, are probably the two most sound teams. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they're the two best defensive teams, but when it comes to all of the habits, all the fundamentals, having that baseline set of things that are always, 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 always there. Um, they don't let up at all. They don't, they don't really give you space. They don't take their foot off the pedal when it comes to discipline and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Trey gets frustrated uh, or, or Trey uh, is not being given space by the opposing defense. Is there that willingness to give the ball up and, and such, but I think so. I think there's a tendency to say, hey, we have a lot more control uh, of how we're going to play defense, what we're going to bring on the defensive end. That's a intentionality uh, thing. It's a mental thing. It's a connectedness thing. Where on offense, sometimes you're just going up against a defense who is just on their A game and everything is hard uh, on that end. On the other end, not to say that you can't run into adversity. I think back to that first Bulls games where they every jump shooter is making shots with a hand in their face. And sometimes right. you just kind of go, yeah, that happens. But I think the thought process is we have a lot more control of things, of our own kind of individual performance on the defensive end. And to see, and I, I also think NBA coaches want their team to understand that when things are going poorly on offense, that's where we keep ourselves in the game. That's where we keep ourselves within distance that's where we uh, make sure that we have some shot uh, to potentially come back and when you become frustrated partially uh, because of how rough things are going on offense and then uh, kind of give up on the defensive end you you go to from having some shot to really giving yourself no shot and that's like the worst thing I think an NBA coach wants to see its team go through all right uh, let, let me ask you this, and maybe this is too fine a level of detail, because I know that I certainly would not have known this until I went and tried to do some homework for, for our discussion today. <laughs> um, I, and this is certainly not really the, probably the key point of relevance in the big topic here either, but uh, I was curious to see what Kevin Knox looks like as a defender, as a 22 year old, because, you know, obviously he gets drafted. He plays kind of a lot as a 19 year old, uh, as we've seen with Jalen Johnson, you know, when guys come in really young, uh, I think we could chalk it up to, they don't really know how to play basketball yet. And right. Knox for what it is, is he, he's essentially at a point where he's learning behind the scenes. Like he's not playing a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so I just went to his game log, <laughs> tried to find a stretch where, uh, you know, he played more than one game at a time. I picked the second of a two-game stretch that he played uh, in, in where it was non-garbage time for both games. And uh, it ended up being the game where Steph Curry set the record for three-pointers in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he played like half the second quarter and all of the fourth quarter. And I just wanted to see what he looked like on defense. I didn't, I didn't cue any offense up at all. I just wanted to see all of the warrior shot attempts you know and and was he making the right rotation was he uh you know did he overhelp? did he not help when he should have helped um you know and all that stuff about making the right rotation making an effort to contest get a hand in his face i thought he looked pretty good like the warriors thing's kind of a fluke because 
you're always kind of on red alert when you, you're playing against Steph and, and yep. defensive schemes get a little bit wonky because you've got to really warp things. Yep. But I thought he was good at making good early decisions when it was time for him to rotate. I, I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. I wasn't really expecting that, but I also really didn't feel like I had any real basis to know what to expect. Yeah, um, he he strikes me as a guy who knows how to play in terms of kind of um, understanding um, the template, you know, what the team is trying to do. He understands the principles and things like that. What I've seen from him across his career, and this has shown up more on offense than on defense, I think, is when he's playing with confidence. And that seems to be a little elusive just from my observation of him. I don't I never met him, don't know him. Um, but I've been around, you know, a lot of uh, younger basketball players in my days and I've had to help coach, you know, young players through, uh, you know, young players that don't have the same natural competence as maybe others do for whatever reason, their personality or whatever. Um, and you can just kind of see that when he's playing aggressively, which I think correlates to him playing with confidence, he's a, he's a pretty useful a basketball player that, you know, that's when he's making shots. That's when he's being decisive with the basketball. That's when he feeling, feeling that's when he's feeling like he can be common, an, an active participant in what the team is trying to do on offense, but on defense, um, you know, a, a little bit less of a, of a spotlight there, where it's kind of more of a team game to a degree. And he kind of does covers all the basics. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we've seen him in a long time kind of take a primary assignment or anything like that. Um, he's Yeah, in that Warriors game, I mean, he was guarding, I would say, more than anybody else, uh, Juan Toscano-Anderson with a little right. bit of Iguodala and Draymond mixed in. But, right. you know, when he was guarding Draymond and, and, and stuff like that, you know, he had to get some defensive box outs, and and, and I liked what I saw. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a real assignment to when it comes to boxing out. No doubt. Yeah, and so – you know, I I think, you know, one way I want to think about this is what is Nate looking for? And I think Nate would potentially value a, a steady guy who's at least going to kind of go out and execute the basics, you know, reliably. I, I think that uh, Knox is that. I, I have no idea kind of where he might fall in the rotation, if he'll play at all. We don't fully know that he'll even be on the roster for very long, you know. For sure. Uh, um, but – he's the kind of guy that it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a shot um, because of what he can bring. And, um, you know, in the proverbial kind of change of scenery thing, you know, he was drafted into New York, lots of expectations, lots, a ton of organizational change there. The front office has turned over since he was drafted a brand new coach. Um, and, and when you watch him play defense, you kind of remind yourself that like, Oh, Tibbs knows how, knows how to coach defense. He knows how to coach guys up, <laughs> you know, defensively for sure. Yeah, that's the scary part. We're getting to that later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, and you kind of think back to, you know, some of the defensive players they were playing against the Hawks last year and the Hawks were still capping out at about, a, you know, hundred, 101, 102, not even always getting to a hundred um, with, you know, you know, uh, the guys that they had that none of them are have ever probably gotten a vote for like all defense or anything even close to that. So, you know, Tibbs can coach some defense. That's kind of kind of Nate's reputation too. You know, Tibbs is more of the kind of guy, like when you look up NBA defense in the dictionary, you might see his picture there. Um, 
but yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see, um, you know, if he's going to play at the three, for example, does he get an opportunity to play ahead of TLC at, you know, at some point before too long? Uh, does he get that opportunity? Um, if he's going to play at the four, you know, how in the heck does, as I, I think a lot of the, the league has started to think of him more as a power forward, um, you know, does that mean that Gallo's going to get a night off here? And, you know, what, what does it look like for him to get minutes uh, there? Probably not as hard if Clint's going to be out for a little while longer for him to kind of work his way in when Collins has to play more at the five, for example, and things like that. But it, I mean, he's, he's kind of, I, I think he, his brand around, um, amongst the broader part of observers in the league is that kind of a laughing stock, you know, worst player, drafted in the first round of his draft class is like, I wouldn't be surprised to the people who think that, but he, I think has something to offer uh, if he can kind of uh, find some cons- consistent confidence to play with. You know, I, I think he might surprise some people if, if, for, if somehow this new setting, this new team, these new teammates, this new environment can help him kind of get established with a, a more reliable kind of um, dynamic of confidence with, I wouldn't be surprising if he ends up being kind of a helpful player. Um, but also not talking myself into like feeling like that's something that's sure to happen. You know, we'll yeah, see. And, and, you know. and it made, you know, he's, he's only under contract for this season. This may be just sort of some short term stopgap yep. kind of thing, but totally. I mean, you, you, you need people to step into your rotation. Somebody's going to step on an ankle at some point. Gal, you know, you look at Gallinari's career track record, and I don't think there are going to be a whole lot of games or a whole lot of seasons where he's played more than 70 games. Right. Um, So, I mean, I think having a reliable third string power forward is is not the worst thing to have, uh, especially when you don't have Solomon Hill, who, you know, obviously was hurt and was out for the season and is now part of that trade. Right. And then, and then, well, also, if we kind of think through how the Hawks have gotten to this point in the season where they're basically, you know, for a while been a bottom five defense, the coaching staff and the front office may be landing on the realization that sometimes we're just not going to be able to play Gallo because he just, you know, he's not playable defensively in some matchups or for some stretches. And right now they don't, they're not going to turn to Jalen Johnson, who does not know how to play yet in NBA basketball. Um, you know, Knox might give them someone to say, hey, here's a, a younger, more athletic guy who can give us a little bit more of what we need in some matchups at the four when, when John's either on the bench or when there's an injury at center that John has to slide up. So it is, um, you know, an alternative to Gallo's older, slower uh, version of defense that if, if they're like, man, we just need like three minutes of like good functional defense at the four roll box out there uh, as opposed to Gallo in a situation like that. And, um, you know, that's the kind of scenario where I could see him getting an opportunity that might not look so obvious on the surface. Yeah. You put a clip on Twitter today of Gallinari trying to get from directly under the basket out to a three point shooter in rotation. And it was a clip that I referred to internally, uh, (laughs) you know, my quip was he looks like a guy who's running two blocks to catch a bus. Like it just, it takes him a while to get there. Like, it's just, it's like 12 steps. The first three are sort of accelerating to mid speed. Like it's just, you know, it happens. I'm old. I've been through the aging process. I, it's not fun. You're here. 
Yeah, I remember. He's not I, the, Gallo's not the first person to get a hold. Yeah, I'll have to borrow a, a baseball um, recollection here, but at one point when Greg Maddox was playing for the Braves, he hit a triple, and this was. Uh, and Maddox was kind of a sneaky athlete in some ways. Like he was awesome at fielding his position and stuff, but running first home to third was, <laughs> was not a, an opportunity for him to feature <laughs> his athleticism. And I don't remember who said it. Um, it. It may have been Dave Baker, who was part of the Braves broadcast at the time, but I, I think it was him who said that Maddox's trip from home to third on that triple replaced the Kentucky Derby as the uh, most exciting two minutes in sports. <laughs> and watching Gallo try to close out for whatever reason kind of just reminded me of that. Yeah. I, uh, so it's, it's rough. It, it's rough. Now I, in, it, when I posted what, when I posted that clip on Twitter, I noted that JC was defending on ball and did not hold up for very long for sure. at all. And that happens. That collapses the backside way faster. And it puts those, anyone on the backside at a disadvantage. And it's only fair to call it out. But yep. that I thought that play like, really captured like their biggest defensive issue all season long is not being strong enough at the point of attack for sure. then putting already uh, vulnerable defenders elsewhere on the floor in, in an even more vulnerable position. And so it's not like one thing, yep. it's the combination of those things. And I thought like, wow, this is like their biggest problem on defense for the whole season <laughs> in one yeah. possession, you know? Um, you know, so that's, and that's where, you know, I, what, what does Knox look like regularly at the point of attack? You know, I have to, I'll be honest and say, I don't know. I don't think that's what really he's been asked to do in a, no. in a while. And, if and he's I don't the think floor, the Hawks would ask him to do that either in most, almost every situation. Right. Right. But if the ball swings to his side of the floor and, you know, and he has to um, you kind of do that, it, it, I'm open to, you know, watching him give it a try based on where things are, but who knows what the plan is in terms of what Travis and Nate and others uh, are thinking. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's better than the average fan probably thinks he is, is, is what I'll say. And he's he has some kind of baseline competency um, that's there. And he is, uh, at times, a more helpful offensive player when he's aggressive and playing confidence. Um, I, I don't know what the trick is there because, obviously, I don't know him. But you can – it's one of those things where you – when you watch him, I feel like you can tell, oh, he's he has a confidence, right? He's attacking, he's decisive, you see that. And other times where it's like he has the ball and he's like, I really wish I didn't have the ball. <laughs> you know, that sort of uh, a, bi- a big delta between those you know, two examples. But but oftentimes you'll see that even in the same game. Yeah, and to, to backtrack a little bit, I mean, I'm completely with you on the point of attack defense. And, I mean, it's exciting to have DeAndre Hunter back. I don't know that that was – going to be his favorite game defensive game of his career uh but you know you're not going to get the rust off until you're out there and they just haven't had anyone really that they could put on on top point of attack offensive players and it's you know separating that from the trade i think that's what may end up being the biggest development for this hawks team down the stretch but uh we need to talk about the cam reddish half of this trade uh, what do you think? What do you think about the return? What do you think about the long-term strategy? What do you think about this trade return versus what they could have gotten in the summer? Like, there are a lot of questions here all at once, but there's a lot to process here. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to start from kind of almost an academic standpoint, it's not all that different from the Torian Prince trade when the decision was, you know, we're, we don't really feel like we want to own his next contract. That felt like the one of the bigger factors here was if you're not going to look at um, extending him or whatever that might look like or, or following him in the restrictive agency and, and kind of doing what you'd have to keep him is to go ahead and, and move him and get what value you can. That's exactly what Travis did um, with Torian Prince, albeit that happened after the season ended, um, which could have happened here, here potentially, um, uh, uh, except that where the Hawks are right now, there's it just feels like there's an, an um, undoubtedly kind of an impetus for them to change this roster between now and the trade deadline, which kind of probably, or I should say may have put this specific transaction into motion earlier than it might otherwise have gone. Um, I think the return was fine. I, I think it tells us that um, he lost value in between draft night and now, because I think the the reliable kind of word around the team was that he they were looking for, you know, something towards the back end of the lottery, you know, or the mid teens, you know, or something like that. This is a, I think a top 18 uh, protection this year. I um, think it might even be, is it starker? Maybe, maybe you're right. My memory is not that great here. Yeah. I think it's 18 this year and then goes to 16 next year. And then four, I think 18, 16, 14 is what I remember. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so, you know, couldn't generate the value that was asked for on draft night. Now they didn't make a trade at that point. So maybe their web value wasn't there either. <laughs> or it's the same, you know? Right. Um, but I, I think it's fine. Um, I think that pick is more likely to convey this year than not. I, I, if, I think if the Hornets can find themselves a more confident center, they're going to be a team that kind of pushes upward of 45 wins uh, this year. They're, they're, they're getting that good of a season from Bridges and Mello and uh, other others and, and things like that. So I, I don't think they're going to be waiting forever on this pick to convey uh, in a way that the Oklahoma city pick is unlikely to convey, you know, um, in that sense, um, you know, so I, I, I think it was fine. Uh, um as I, I can't imagine them squeezing a ton more value out of this. I have I have no doubt that Travis really explored the market to see if this is the best he could get before he made the decision uh, to kind of to kind of make this deal. But I I have no sort of uh, criticism of the trade in its form. I know that some fans that were have been like really excited about Ken's potential, which is you know still there in, in the form of potential. Uh, don't like it so much, and I understand that from a fan's perspective. But in terms of what I think was realistic, you know, apologies to not have a maybe a sort of more exciting take, but I think it's fine. <laughs> I think, you know, I think yeah. uh, I think Kevin Pelton gave it a B minus, which feels about right, which is acceptable to me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess the one thing that you could say was that maybe this was a predictable outcome in the sense that. with the transactions that went down this summer, locking up Capello, locking up Collins, locking up Herder, getting all this big money on the books, you kind of knew that the Cam Reddish extension was not coming. Right. Cam, it's a talented basketball player. You know, so some players end up, you know, getting that $20 million contract and some, some players end up, 
you know, on the minimum-ish type deals. And Cam wanted to showcase himself as, you know, the kind of guy that gets that big money extension. Um, so he wanted to play that sort of style of game. The Hawks kind of gave him some reign in that department, separating him from Trey, putting him on the second unit. Uh, you can ask big questions about the talent that they put with him on that second unit, but it just feels like he was always going to be striving for that, knowing that he couldn't really get it in Atlanta with almost certain likelihood. Right. And it was just kind of set up for bad vibes from the get-go because there was this constant pull about, you know, what Atlanta could give him and, you know, what he wanted, kind of knowing that he couldn't get it here. I don't know. It just felt like he, he had to audition for his next job in the job that he was already in, which is always sort of a bad situation uh, when you're trying to impress one employer for, for <laughs> and somebody else is still giving you the paychecks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could, I think a question, maybe these are my words, not yours, but the question that kind of probe there is could the Hawks avoided some of the headache for them and him by making this value, a, a, a deal of similar value ahead of the season. Right. Um, you know, and, and was Travis kind of, you know, holding uh, the line too firmly on, you know, I want something in the, you know, in between 10 to 15, if that's what it was, you know, on draft night, you know, you and I talked, um, I think the night after draft night, I thought he was, Travis was maybe kind of um, looking to, for a chance to get Zaire Williams, who's helping Memphis win a lot of games right now. Right. Um, and that, that didn't uh, kind of, that didn't work out. And that that's just my feeling on what, um, based on what I've read and connecting some of the dots that I, I think may have been going on. But I think if they, if you ask yourself, like, could, could the Hawks avoided some of this headache and gotten a similar uh, kind of value for him before the season? I, I think that has to be true. And, um, I, and I'm to be, I'm using hindsight here because I think sure. I would have agreed with what Travis did. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I necessarily love the Capella extension as early as it came. Right. But by and large, I was, on board with kind of all of it. And, and I was short-sighted, I think in that regard too. Like, I think, I think I was good with most of it and, and, and not trying to sell low on cam, but uh, you know, knowing what we know, it just seems like it was a little bit predictable. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is, is I think if the Hawks season were going better uh, through some relationship uh, to cam's own individual kind of profile, the Hawks probably would have turned this into a better value deal. Um, you know, the optics of the Hawks not doing well and Cam not being able to help them really move the needle from their current level play to the better for any meaningful stretch, I think kind of impacted the the ability that Travis might have otherwise had to kind of cultivate a stronger market. And that's what, you know, um, you know, these people who are leading front offices are trying to work to cultivate a market that's going to generate as much value as they can. And I just think that went nowhere across this whole regular season so far, it just really went nowhere. Um, it's, it's not a video game where like, oh, Cam had three good games in a row. I'm going to trade him right now for the best return I can get. You know, right. other teams have to be feeling like it's not only a good deal for them, but also the right time for them to make that deal. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, is I think, I think my guess is Travis thinks that with his goal, I think being of like looking for that next significant move, to get this team moving truly towards the very you know, top of the league, hopefully, and from an ambition standpoint, 
that this draft pick is going to have as much or more value uh, in kind of putting a package together if someone, some really good, meaningful player comes available. Um, and I can imagine most teams that are saying, like, oh, yep, it's time for us to trade whatever player and kind of go more into a, a rebuilding mode. Let's just hypothetically say, like, oh, Portland's going to, you know, reset or whatever and say, say it's CJ McCollum, right? Just that's total hypothetical, right? Um, Portland probably is valuing a draft pick more than a guy who has to be paid pretty quickly that, that no one really is sure what he is yet, right. you know? And so I, I think that's one of the um, aspects of this that I haven't heard discussed elsewhere is what is the asset that has more value to the Hawks right now in the scenario of them trying to put together maybe a, a consolidation trade of types? I think that draft is going to work into those scenarios better than, than Cam would have, mostly because of where Cam is in his rookie scout contract and, and the impending extension window and potential restricted free agency not too far down the road. Yeah, and I do think there's sort of this discrete incremental way that we use the English language that when that a general manager will count on so that when he's setting up his own resume and his personal profile and he has to trade away a second tier star who maybe made an all-star team or a few all-star teams, when he trades that player, if that's really what Travis Schlenk is interested in, that other GM can say, hey, look, I got three first round picks or I got four first round picks when really some of those first round picks were kind of fake first round picks or not premium first round picks. Right. And, and the Hawks have some of those to put in the deal to pad the resume of the opposing GM to say, Hey, look, I made this great deal. I got this package of picks. And when you say, Oh, four first round picks or three first round picks, and you just kind of lump it all into one phrase, it sounds a little bit better than it really is. But the, the Hawks now have some of the assets to do that. Right. When you're the Lakers trying to use your picks to trade for Anthony Davis and the, like in that case, New Orleans is going like, uh, LeBron's on your team. How good are these picks going to be? You know, or the Clippers, <laughs> right. the Clippers right. trading for Paul George, you know, the, the consideration where OKC there, there was like, we want these picks to extend beyond the time, you know, that Paul George is likely at his peak so that we can hopefully kind of catch some of these picks when the Clippers are coming back down the mountain, you know, if you will. Um, but like a, a Charlotte team, you know, probably the consensus there is like, we don't really know what they are. So you know, these, this pick might be decent. You know, if we look at if it were if they like next year as a top 14 protected pick, you get something in that 15 to 18 range. You know, a, a GM could say this is a good pick that I went out and got and, and try to make a case there in a way that if you have a, a you know, a guy uh, uh, approaching an extension window and like his restricted free agency doesn't uh, kind of fit that narrative very much. And, that, and that's a, a real, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's a real factor. And a lot of the deals that happen in the league is guys not only trying to build a good product, but also uh, trying to have a, a strong narrative for why they should be able to stay in their job. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, un- uh, I'm getting too far afield here, but, you know, it's kind of un- unfair to Cam. Not uh, unfair isn't the right word, but he didn't get the optimal situation that somebody like Kevin Herter got in the sense that, you know, when Herter got here, the, the Hawks were at the Nadir 
of right. where they were going to be in their rebuilding strategy. He got to come in, get a ton of reps with a team that didn't care squat about winning, just, you know, coach up the young guys, play, learn from the mistakes, try to get better. You know, Cam got here. The Hawks were already kind of on the upswing a little bit and Cam got hurt. And, it, you know, he's such an incredible talent that you wonder in the alternate universe where he kind of comes and gets that extra year or two of reps before the team got good. Uh, you know, if, if somehow the outcome could be a little bit better for him because he's, he has so many things that he can do, but he just kind of needs, it feels just feels like he needs some playing reps to get the bad stuff out of his game to just kind of uh, get a feel for what works and what doesn't, and then just kind of strip the bad parts away from the good one, because he's such a polarizing player because there's so much of both in his game. Like most players have this very low standard deviation in their game. They just do this or they do that. And it's kind of middling and the best of cam is so good. And the worst of cam is so bad that it's, you wonder if somehow, you know, if there would be a way to, and I don't think it's in New York. They're kind of not, you know, in a boat, not all that different than what the Hawks are in. Um, But it just feels like there's some way that he could have had uh, a better experience in terms of learning and development so that he could uh, make the best use of what he has because he has a lot. He has a ton. I, you know, I, I, I said this publicly already today, but I, I hope he kind of finds his footing there and can uh, make something of himself. Like, like any fan that would be like, oh, I hope things don't work. It's like, I can't imagine no, putting I mean, that I, there, but there are sports fans that are like that. I'm like, I can't imagine yeah. putting my own energy out there like to root against. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. But, but to think that Kevin, I, I think you're right in that. I mean, obviously these two teams were were neck and neck last year. That they were the four and five seed in the Eastern Conference, right? I think right. what's different in New York for Cam is that the Hawks undoubtedly right now are trying to win with offense and need real consistency around Trey shot making, decisive secondary creators that know exactly how to attack a defense that's been. Um, you know, where Trey has created leverage uh, in that situation. And, and Cam is just not, um, uh, doesn't have a consistent uh, kind of level of play, a consistent manner of attack. When when he's kind of on, just like you just mentioned a few minutes ago, he can really get to the rim and kind of attack, but it's it's there one game and not there the next game. And then another game, you're like, what is he thinking now? Like, where did the good play the last two games come and go? I think that's tricky. Uh, for how the Hawks are trying to build around Trey. Obviously, they have a lot of things to work on on defense. Um, but if they're going to kind of right the ship this year, they're more likely to be a top five offense and try to start working the defense as close as they can towards somewhere you know in the direction of league average. You know, um, In New York, they're winning with defense. And they're going to try to win their games, you know, random score, 95 to 91 or, or whatever that is. And Cam, you know, being coached by Tibbs and that staff, if he'll accept the coaching in the way that one would hope, I think can offer them something on defense and just the pressure on offense for him to kind of not throw away opportunities created by a player like Trey. That's not going to be the situation in New York. Um, you know, I think there's going to be less pressure on him offensively in New York as compared to Atlanta. Right. And then it, with maybe him feeling like he's you know, less under a microscope on the offensive end, 
Maybe he buys in a little bit more defensively. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable with just with that setting and that kind of situation. And that I think that might work for him. I think New York was smart uh, to make this move um, and, and kind of see if he can fit in the template of what they're trying to do, which is kind of in that sense of 180 from what the Hawks were. The Hawks need like a Bogdanovich and a Herter, um, you know, and a Gallo. The template last year was guys who can make shots, guys who know what to do with the ball when uh, they're chased off the three-point line, guys that'll move it, uh, guys that know where to be and they're there on time. That's just not who Cam is right now. And that's what the Hawks have to have right now for them to hit the mark that they have for themselves. And New York is totally different. It's let's win on defense and let's let's squeeze out enough offense. And that might work for Cam in a way that it, it maybe never would have for in Atlanta. Maybe, but the, the opportunity was here for him. Like with, without Hunter, they needed somebody so desperately. Sure. And he, you know, he didn't do it like, but, you know, he may have a different mentality in New York because, you know, you number one is just the whole fresh, fresh scenery. Like you just get a fresh start, a chance to kind of prove yourself separately. That's that weighs in, you know, like you mentioned, it's a different style of team and it might play to his strengths. But also, you know, New York, uh, while competitive, they have a completely different sort of salary structure than what the Hawks have at this point. Uh, New York can. Uh, get to a point where they can give him some money at some point where the Hawks maybe weren't going to be able to do that uh, unless they were crazy willing to go into the tax. So I just think, you know, if that's what it takes to kind of get him to, to buy in and play that style uh, and play to his optimal self, then maybe, uh, maybe we will see a new cam in New York. If so, (laughs) this will not be a, a trade that gets received well, but it was, it's still an understandable trade when you take yep. it in the moment. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not predicting wild success. What I'm saying is I think there's a path. No. I will there's... predict this. I will predict that there's going to be a three week stretch when everybody <laughs> piles on and says, what a terrible trade this is. This is, this is going to happen with like 90% certainty. There is going to be three weeks when Tram, when cam sets the world on fire and everybody's going to say, Oh my God, what were the Hawks doing? Um, but is that going to be three months? Is that going to be three seasons? I don't know about that, but I feel like 90% certain that there's a three week stretch coming where Cam just lights it up and uh, everybody is going to look at this and, and reflect on it poorly. But it's going to be know, the, the bigger question is going to be more can he get to a bigger place of consistency than just that three weeks? Yeah, true. And that's certainly what, what Tibbs is looking for. And and we should also say that, you know, you were kind of probing there that Cam probably knew he was never going to get paid here uh, in Atlanta. Um, his representatives probably knew that. Once they brought JC back, it was likely going to be Cam or Herder. Um, not Certainly not all of Cam, Herder, and Hunter. And, right. and there's still some work to do, uh, even to kind of fit Hunter in, likely. Um, potentially some work to do, depending how things kind of, kind of shake out there. There may McDonald's may be a, a bit of an obstacle uh, in that sense, depending upon how much Hunter plays between now and then and stuff. But and, and that and that business side, you know, that impacts the player too. And sure, you know, it has I mean, to. Yeah, and I, I remember, like in Minnesota, I was there during the Jimmy season, and as soon as they paid Cat. You know, I mean, Jimmy never stopped playing basketball, but he stopped being nice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and was and you could tell it was just done. You know, he's like and even though it was Tibbs, this guy, his coach from Chicago and 
and all that sort of stuff. It was like, you paid him before me? Uh, okay, yeah, I'm not long for this place. And that's a different uh, example, but still a similar thing of like, okay, this is not where my next paycheck is coming. That that impacts the way a player, you know, gets invested in their current situation, but for sure. You know, and that's a that's just a, a human thing. That's not a that's not a criticism. So yeah, uh, I think I think Travis has another pick to throw at a team that might have a player that really moves the needle for the Hawks. I think the Knicks have a guy who can kind of maybe fit their template better than uh, what he did in Atlanta. And they, to to your point, they have some some room to pay him if if things kind of move in the right direction and such. So. You know, in, in my ideal world, I, I don't root for one team to beast another team in a trade. I, I, you know, we look back a year, year and a half or whatever. I hope we look back. I'm like, oh, Fox used that pick and kind of did something meaningful and, and look, you know, Cam made himself into, um, you know, uh, enough consistent enough player and a guy who's given his team enough stuff can, consistently that uh, he kind of got what he was looking for. And I hope that's that's how this shakes out, even though that obviously if this were, you know, sports talk radio, that would. Uh, get me fired for that take. <laughs> okay, well, here let, let's fire up. I got I got two hot takes for you. Okay, okay. Uh, one and, and just directed entirely at Knicks fans in New York. So first <laughs> of all, there's there are a lot of Nick there are a lot of annoying Knicks fans, and uh, I'm I'm putting up a pod with a very wonderful Knicks fan, uh, Sean <laughs> Sean the one? Jennings. The one? Uh, no, no. There, I mean, there are plenty of nice know, Knicks I'm fans too. Yeah, there, I mean, you watch the videos of people like losing their mind over Trey and it's just like, stop it. And, and two, the whole Madison square garden thing is just annoying at this point. It's completely overblown. <laughs> like, Oh, this is the mech. This is the church of basketball. It's the best arena in the world. Just, okay. It's old. And it's just a way for the league to say something nice about a franchise. That's been pretty pitiful for 50 years since Bill Bradley was playing for you. Like, just, just stop. Like, it's just too much at this point. Like there are plenty of great basketball arenas just because you happen to have an old one and we need to say something nice about the Knicks. Does not mean we have to gush and fawn over Madison square garden? Like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just terrible. Just, I, I'm so tired. Yeah, of that. Ma- Madison square garden basically plays a character on TV. It's a TV narrative. If you've been there, you know what it's really like. Uh, and I have uh, been there. Uh, I, I'm a, I've done a good bit of consulting in my career and I've done a decent amount of work in New York and used to, in fact, you know, go in and out of Grand Central Station, um, which is right there. Um, See, if there's something to fawn over, fawn over Grand Central Station, like that's, correct. that's actually something like you walk in there and it's like, oh, wow, this is like public transportation. Like, what, what are we doing here? This is, you know, <laughs> there's I mean, space for everybody. And, you know, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> It is, like uh, that's immaculate. an actual like cathedral of public transport. Like you go in there and that's like, great. Like hats off to New York right, on that one. I like that. Right next, right next door though. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not what it's made out to be when you watch on TV. You're like, Oh, Madison Square Garden. Of course, a lot of historic things have happened there, but yeah, it's, it's not, that's not what it's made out to be. It's like I said, it's, it's basically it's not it's, head and shoulders above the other 29 readers. Let's just put no, it that way. Like, no. like we, we could celebrate Oracle arena. Like how about that place? Like, they had a god awful team for forty years too, until Steph got there, and that place was just a, a great place to play basketball and watch basketball. So, like, let's just calm down a little bit on Madison Square Garden. It's enough now. The, the Knicks are at least semi respectable. So, can we just focus on what that is and stop with all the needless gushing about the arena? It's just pointless. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of these new arenas are are something else. Are I don't know if you've been to the new one in Sacramento, but I've never been to another place like that. Yeah, I have not so, been to that one. Golden One Center is it's uh, it has it's a gradual kind of outdoor to indoor, and the uh, being in the in kind of in the Bay Area, you get a bit of that kind of weather feel. It's it's like nothing ever. I mean, it's gorgeous and beautiful, and just the whole even when you're kind of trying to get in quote into the arena it doesn't feel like you're trying to get into arena it feels it's just a, a immaculate experience if you if anyone who has a chance to go should go for sure i've probably been to i don't know between probably about 12 games there that's where my in-laws um have lived and and such so i've had plenty of opportunities back to the next right. very good I, I you know what that was your take the madison square garden take yeah i have uh, yeah that's you leave it at that i've I have some other stuff, but let, 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 let's let's end on that. I think that's a good note to end on. Let that echo and resound a little bit. So, yeah, the, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, Glenn. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like the, those people you see on TV, like saying F Trey and all this sort of stuff, kind of like Madison Square Garden is playing a, a character on TV. Those people are playing characters on social media mostly. It's tryhard stuff. Uh, Just stop right. being a tryhard. Right. Exactly. So there are places that's, where trying is good, but that's. You just they're, you're trying they're, too much is something that's yeah. going to have no payoff. So there are actual stop. intellectual Knicks fans that exist in this world, and I, and I I look forward to you know hearing your conversation there. I, I look look forward to that. So, all right, well, uh, this is good. Uh, I, I look forward to talking more about the basketball product and the basketball transactions. I know that that's not as sexy as, as the front office stuff, but uh, uh, I'm ready to get back to it, but hopefully the Hawks can give us a, a better product to discuss because the, the game against the heat was pretty moribund. Yes. Heat next, uh, the next two. And uh, hopefully they'll give us some more fun game to talk about. I'm, I'm ready for that too. Excellent. Thanks Glenn. Thanks Kevin.